The teaching text today is 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 through 5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, everyone. How's everyone doing? Great. So just a couple of questions to get our minds moving in in this direction. Uh, How how do we come to the place with people who have uh, free will uh, or or will, uh, if you want to get into a theological argument at least? We we make choices that matter. We have some level of control over ourselves. Um, How do we come to the place that we are thinking things that we do not want to think? How do we come to the place that we are doing things that we do not want to do? How about when we have something in our lives that we know is harming us? Uh, Maybe it's full on destroying destroying our lives or damaging our relationships or, or even hurting those we love, but we cannot seem to stop. How do you come to the place where you swear you're not gonna do something again And then sure enough, you find yourself back at it. What about the thoughts that that kind of make you miserable in the world or maybe make you miserable to be around, um, but far from feeling like you really have a choice in stopping them, you find yourself actually dwelling on them regularly? What do we do about that? Why do some of our interests become obsessions? Why do things that we start out doing for enjoyment or relief or, or freedom or, or even relaxation sometimes become addictions that have a hold on us? Why do sometimes our concerns blossom and bloom into anxiety that, that we can't seem to control? How come some of our sadness, which is a normal reaction to some of the pain of the world, how come that can become in us depression? Anger, like an appropriate reaction over, over, over wrong things in the world at times, but what about when we're sort of dominated by an explosive temper? What do we do when insecure thoughts become uh, like crippling shame or a feeling of rejection becomes, uh, we start to build a life of deliberate isolation? What a warm-hearted start to the sermon. Thanks, Caleb. Jeez, feeling great. Wrist coming out here with the virus on the loose, and now, now this. Um, the, the bottom line is uh, there is a phenomenon in human life where our thoughts and behaviors, some of them can get a hold on us, and they can seem to be beyond the reach of ordinary willpower to change. There are patterns of thought and behavior that can take root in our life and seem to be beyond the reach of ordinary willpower to change. I want to say in full confession, I have experienced this. 
Uh, I'll give you just a couple of ways. I've experienced this with substances. Something I thought I was doing for fun or relaxation or to turn down the volume on negative feelings uh, got a hold of me. And I, I could not stop even when the losses in my life were piling up. Um, I experienced this dual threat of a, a phenomenon of craving in my body and an obsession in my mind. And I had to uh, have that, uh, that, that, that broken off. And, and uh, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the mechanics of that later. But I've also experienced this with crippling anxiety. Um, uh, my mind ramped up with irrational and rational fears and got to the place where I could not stop this sort of ticker tape of anxious thoughts in my mind. I began to have physical manifestations of this crippling anxiety. The first time I had a panic attack, I had someone in my, uh, my directing class take me to the hospital because I thought I was having a heart attack. I was in my early 20s, hooked up to a heart machine saying, what is going on in my life? I didn't want to be around other people. I didn't want to talk about it because I thought, this is what being crazy is, right? Like if, you, if you're feeling things that are so strongly because you can't stop what's going on in your mind, I was wrong about that, but I thought I was dying also, so it was not that fun to be at a party. I've experienced this with anger. Somewhere in my childhood, and I'm not like blaming my, my, my dad exactly, um, but I got the message that anger and strength were similar, that they go together. That to be strong means you have an intimidating force that you can pull out when you need to to make the situation go like you want it to go. I had to fight against that to come to grips with, I think, a truer vision of masculinity. Um, as a friend, as a spouse, as a parent, I know I can intimidate my children if I want to, maybe coerce them into acting how I want by showing out my anger, and yet I find that that's actually warping me and maybe warping them. I've experienced this with unforgiveness. People I had every right to have something against, these folks actually did wrong things to me. Can you believe that? And, and I thought I was giving them, in a sense, kind of what they deserve by, despite, by, by despising them, by running over their, their wrongdoings in my mind. But as time went by in these instances, I found actually I was the one who was trapped. They weren't affected at all by my grudge on a, on a day-to-day basis, the way I wish they, they were. You guys have heard different uh, ideas and quotes on this. I, I heard it said, I don't know when it was a kid or something, that like having a grudge is drinking poison and hoping the other person gets sick. It actually just tears you, <laughs> tears you apart. You're the one who deteriorates. I have experienced the phenomenon of having uh, thoughts and behaviors that seem to get beyond the reach of just ordinary willpower in my life to change. There is this phenomenon in human life. Things get ingrained in us, and we can't simply change by wanting to. Someone in the middle of a, of a panic attack, if you ask them, would you like to feel peace? <laughs> Absolutely. Someone overrun in the throes of addiction, you're like, would you like to be free of this? Absolutely. I want to change, and yet I can't seem to change. What on earth do you do if you find yourself in that situation? We are holistic people. We are physical and spiritual beings. We have a body, but we also have a soul. Our soul is made up of our, our mind, our conscious thoughts, our, our volition, our will, our ability to make choices, our emotional reactions. And that's all in there, right? In, in, in our, the inner part that makes us us. 
We have personality, we have preferences, uh, we, we have a story that we're living in, and some of that informs these things. You've, you've experienced successes, you've experienced failures, you've experienced ways that you were loved really well, and also ways probably that you were harmed or neglected or, or, or wounded. We've believed lies in our, in our, at some, right? Most of us have picked up something along the way that wasn't true or helpful, but we've also discovered gifts, like things that we have. Uh, some of you are really, really creative and, and artistic. Some of you are, are, are fantastic at, at, at listening, right? All, all, the, all the different gifts that you've picked up about yourself along the way. But even with this complex story that we're in the middle of, we, we have things that can get a hold of us. And... There's different ways of talking about what these things are. And, and one way, sort of the most, maybe most uh, often referred to is just like bad habits. This is, um, you know, we, when, what do you do when you get something ingrained? It really is a habit. It really is a, a regular pattern in your life, but you can't seem to change it. There's been a lot of like really uh, important, maybe even you could say groundbreaking books that have come out about habit in the last, uh, last five or six years. One, one of them, um, The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, I, re- I read, I found it really helpful. Uh, Maybe you'll relate to this. He says, most of the choices we make each day feel like the products of well-considered decisions, but they're not. They're habits. Habits, scientists say, emerge because the brain is constantly looking for ways to save effort. Left to its own devices, the brain will try to make almost any routine into a habit because the habit allows our minds to ramp down more often. So we, we understand this phenomenon in any complex procedure that we do, like the first time you make a recipe, you have to pay a, a close attention to it. But if you make it every week, you can listen to music and talk and, and watch television all at the same time as you do it, right? When you're first learning to drive and your parents sitting there, the amount of mental energy it comes into doing everything and keeping them from stomping on the imaginary brake and yelling at you takes everything. And then later, right, you can drink coffee and smoke a cigarette and change your radio station and drive a stick shift. Like, you can do it all. You're just amazing. Because your brain has made this thing into a habit. And... It does that with like the ordinary processes of our life, but it can also do it with coping mechanisms. <laughs> it can also do it, we know, with negative thoughts, negative behavior. So these things can become ingrained in us, right? That you don't have to have a list to kind of get what I'm saying, but you, you, these things can become destructive, right? Whether it's smoking or overeating or procrastinating or overspending or drinking too much or looking at pornography or, or obsessively checking social media on and on, bad habits make sense to us. We might also come to call these bad habits addictions. Of course, sometimes they are. Uh, But the scriptures also have a word that they use in this passage that I want us to look at for a few minutes today. And it's the word stronghold. And I like this word for a couple of reasons. It's, uh, uh, you know, it begins to sort of like... um, I think its roots are in like the siege warfare, uh, men, you know, mentality and, and procedure of, of of the time that this text was written. That you know, one of the things you would do is not always direct assault, but you surround a, a city with a superior force and you wait on them to run out of supplies. And so you might have people held up in a stronghold for some amount of time, but they can't get they can't get out, they can't get free. And and uh, often to even have that, you have to first have a, a foothold. You have to have someone in there or some piece of uh, of ground that's been gained and then you can expand from there. I think the imagery does begin to help our imagination. But I think the word also helps us take into account the spiritual nature of some things that we often just refer to as bad habits, and we may just limit to the merely natural. There's a spiritual element when the scriptures talk about strongholds. 
And this acknowledges that there's a conflicted nature to the human experience that goes beyond the merely physical. We talked about this last week as we were looking at Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. I'm not going to spend uh, uh, any time this week going over like um, the idea of who was tempting Jesus in the wilderness, but there is a, a malignant negative spiritual entity, right, that's referred to as the devil in, in this, uh, in this uh, text. And so we, we talked about that last week, and if that freaks you out, you're fine. Go back and listen. You'll know kind of what we, what, why, why we're referring to it this way. So last week... This is week two of Lent, by the way. Welcome. You're doing great. Uh, Last week, we looked at this anchor story of the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Ways that we can, like Christ did, resist when the archetypal temptations of being a human being are put to us, right? Our, our, Our appetites, whether they're appetites for food or drink or sex or whatever, our appetites, our ambition, our desire to achieve, our desire to be significant by what we do, and then approval, our desire to be spoken well of by the community, right? We have, these are real unimpeachable needs that we have. But if we go about meeting them in a way that doesn't take God into account, we can end up in a bunch of trouble. And Jesus has this narrative where he's resisting temptation. But this week, we're gonna look at, and we need to look at, what do you do when you have given him to temptation? Jesus resisting is inspiring. There's some real tools there. It's a model for how we might resist ourselves. But what happens when what does happen in all of our lives is that sometimes we do give in. Sometimes we give in often. Sometimes we get to the place where we have very little or no power to resist the temptation because the thought or behavior has become such a part of our lives. And I wanna say this can happen to you as an individual. Things like this can happen in friendships. It can happen in a family. It can happen in a society. There can be spiritual strongholds that do tremendous damage at every level of our existence as human beings. Whole cultures, right? We know this. We don't have to look terribly far back in history. Whole cultures can be gripped by evil or systemic brokenness in such a way, right? The most obvious examples, we can work with them even though there's so many more, right? More than likely, not every single person in 1930s Germany would have woken up each day planning evil in their heart. But many had become agents of a system so broken that it was tearing the world apart. Not every, maybe not every single individual person uh, woke, woke up in the American South in the time of slavery, um, foaming in their hearts with racism. But so many had capitulated to a system laced with horror that the whole country was damaged by it and still is, Right? Cultures can be gripped by systemic evil, strongholds of brokenness, uh, societal addictions, if you want to call it that. It feels a little insulting to just say that was a bad habit. Ooh. It just won't do, right? These are spiritual strongholds of systemic evil, and they contested for the soul of a nation, the soul of our world, right? There are other examples I'm going to mention a couple and, and probably try to, I want to try to offend everyone really quick. Right? Things that can get ingrained in us as a society. How about hyper-individualism, right? How about excessive consumerism? We become what we own. How about the label and dismiss nature of our cancel culture right now, right? Like we're just like labeling people and dismissing them. You're in this category and therefore you're out. You don't matter. You're done. How about our extreme divisions as a nation? 
How about you say, more likely you saw a video this week or, or, or heard, heard tale of, of people letting their fears about this vi- virus drive racist action, right? Isn't, that's heartbreaking that that's a, a still, you know, still something we're wrestling with. How about the rampant sexual assault that we've been seeing com- coming out? How about killing unborn babies for convenience? How about tearing apart families at the border? How about selling assault rifles to anyone with a driver's license? How about ignoring what we're doing to the planet? How about how acting like what we do with sex can't hurt our communities? It's just between, just between me and the other person. No ripple effects. How about acting like everyone who's poor deserves to be? We have strongholds in our culture and they fit under the labels of right and left. And what happens with us is um, sometimes we can imagine we're escaping the worst of these things because we see ourselves on the correct side. Of course, the way I think about this is the reasonable, rational way, so I'm on the correct side. And then what you do is you make a little space for the most insufferable stronghold of pride, which is the oldest and most reliable of, the, of them, where you become right about everything and God is upset with everyone you're upset with, really good chance you've made God in your own image in that case. But many of us feel ill-equipped to know even where to begin with these larger social or societal ills because, uh, one, they're complicated and really challenging, and, and I'm, not, I'm not letting us off the hook by saying that. But also, I think something that comes up is we know we have our own things going on. And like the stronghold that's going on in our society may be out there, and it may be plaguing me, and I may be reading headlines about it, but I also am living with my own strongholds. I'm living with my own interests that have become obsessions or my own things that I did for enjoyment or relief and relaxation that have become uh, addictions, my own concerns that have become sort of like anxiety that's regularly gripping me, my, my own sadness that's become depression, my own anger that's become an explosive temper, my own insecure thoughts that, uh, that show up as crippling shame, my own feelings of rejection that are leading to isolation, on and on and on. If I didn't hit your behavior or pattern, just know you're in here with us, okay? Relax. Several of us have many. I'm trying to be honest here, right? Like sometimes the pastor's like, I'm really struggling with just a touch of impatience. Just a little, mm, a little impatience from time to time. Rarely, once a month. No, we have real sins, we have real struggles, we have real strongholds, and we're, we're in the middle of needing whatever this divine power that can break them down and change their, their, their nature, we need, we need this. Paul, right in the middle of addressing something, he's feeling accused. If you read this letter, Paul is feeling accused by the city, uh, 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 by the believers in Corinth, and he's feeling uh, riled up a little bit about it. And, and, and right in the middle of, of, of this sort of like discussion with them about their accusations towards them, he drops this little gem on us about the nature of spiritual warfare in our world. And it's a reminder for us that if you ignore the spiritual reality of our lives, you're never gonna see the full picture. Right in the 
the middle of something that could have felt just like social. Certain people just prefer other leaders in the community to Paul. Or certain people like his letters, but they don't like him in person. And Paul is not willing just to, to thin slice the situation and just see one particular angle of it. He drops this gem about spiritual warfare right in the middle of this social conflict that's going on in Corinth to show us that there's always multiple levels that these things are working on. So, this is also direct instructions. One of the clearest sentences in the New Testament about what we do when we find ourselves in a place of stronghold, when we find ourselves in a place where we're overwhelmed with something in our life that we can't seem to change. So let's trace the instructions. It begins with, for though we live in the war world, we do not wage war as the world does. It's almost like a tongue twister. And I just want to pause there for a second and say, I take great comfort in this, uh, that the belief that God knows I live in the world. I take a lot of comfort from that. And what I mean is God is not shocked at who I am, and God is not shocked at what is going on around me. God doesn't wake up, it says he who watches over Israel doesn't slumber or sleep, so let me take away the wake up thing. God's never like, oh my gosh, I had no idea you lived there. I had no idea that was going on. This is mind blowing. What are we gonna do? Caleb, what are we gonna do? That, that's not God's posture towards me. Um, God's not reading the headlines in the, in, 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 in the post and saying like, oh my gosh, more confirmed cases. What is happening? By the way, I just wanna say thank you guys um, for being here today. I know there's like, there's always reasons on a Sunday morning not to, to, come, to, come, to come to church. And there's more, there's more right now, right? It's like a, it's a concerning time. Um, uh, and uh, you saw the signs out. We're trying to take as many precautions as we can with this, with this virus going around. Um, so let me just take two seconds in my sermon and just help you worry a little bit more. Um, just kidding. Uh, we have a, a, a thing on our, 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 uh, our website tdcparkslope.com slash health. You notice it doesn't say slash virus or slash uh, immense panic. Um, it says uh, slash health because that's what we're after and that's what Jesus is after. Um, uh, if you have a care need related to th this or literally anything, care at trinitygracechurch.com and three to four weeks from now, someone's gonna get back to you, okay? <laughs> we're on it. Uh, in all seriousness, uh, <laughs> We're, we're, we, uh, I just, I'm glad, I'm glad you're here. I don't know, like, we, uh, some of these things we haven't dealt with exactly in this way, way before, and, uh, you know, like, uh, we're washing our hands, and we're praying that, <laughs> that God would uh, ha have mercy, and that the people who are, who are uh, making the decisions would make, make good ones, um, but if you want to know uh, some of our, our, our responses, some of the stuff that's going on is we're trying to, uh, you know, Keep the kids uh, healthy in, in the kids' ministry, tgcparkslope.com slash health. Uh, but something I think that's important for me to remember, I have to say this to myself, like Jesus, he's teaching the Sermon on the Mount, he's like, who by worrying can add a single thing to your life? Like even if you wanna have like a good, healthy response to a real significant, complicated challenge, Chances are you're not going to move in the direction of that solution by, by just worrying about it. 
by, by just letting anxiety run rampant in your mind. And so we have to be willing, as this scripture says, to take our thoughts captive, even when there's lots of reasons to be concerned, to take our thoughts captive and to remember the character of God, the promises of God. Most mornings, I, I read the Psalms from the Daily Lectionary, and, and you come to have your favorites, and uh, I always have a little smile on my face when we hit Psalm 103, um, because it says this. It says that God knows that we live in the world. Uh, Psalm 103 says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. And you're like, that doesn't sound terribly comforting. Life is short, but for me it is. So you pick your own favorites. Um, to me, it's so comforting to, for God to know how I am formed. To know that, like, that I'm dust. He doesn't, God doesn't have unrealistic expectations for my life, even if I have them for myself. And I find that to be, to be comforting. I often overestimate myself, ask my children, especially athletically. Um, but then I also, uh, I cripple myself with insecurity, right? I fluctuate between those two things, really overestimating myself or, 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 or being crippled with insecurity, and, and knowing that God knows that I live in the world, that God's not surprised, um, is such a comfort. I have a friend who, who says, I feel like a piece of crap at the center of the universe. Sometimes it feels that way, right? You're fluctuating between these two opposite poles. But God knows I live in the world. And thanks to Jesus, this is the, me the, the message of the incarnation, God knows what it's like to live in the world. Right, Jesus didn't have to deal with coronavirus in the, in, in the first century. He never had to deal even once with trying to limit internet usage to, to pray before he looked at Instagram. That never happened in Jesus' life. But he grew up in a family in an occupied nation that was surrounded with political turmoil, right? There, 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 there were pandemics going on. His, his family had to flee a genocide early in his life. Uh, from, from a tyrannical leader. He knew what rejection felt like. His closest friends betrayed him. It's such a comfort to me that God knows what it is like to live in the world. But he also, he also knows that our normal way of contesting the struggles that we find ourselves in often are insufficient. They will not do. So that's why the passage says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. We have a different way of fighting backs against the evil and brokenness that we find in the world and the evil and brokenness that we find in ourselves, stronghold, and sin. The, the passage goes on. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. When I first memorized this, it was in a different version. It said, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And for me, that's how it always sticks in my head. Anything that's trying to lift it up, lift itself up to be above the knowledge of God in my mind and heart. I like how Eugene Peterson paraphrases this uh, in the message. It might help get your mind going in the right direction. And if it doesn't, forget it. We have other stuff to say. 
The world is unprincipled. It's dog eat dog out there. The world doesn't fight fair. But we don't live or fight our battles that way. Never have and never will. The tools of our trade aren't for marketing or manipulation, but they are for demolishing that entire massively corrupt culture. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Our tools are ready at hand for clearing the ground of every obstruction and building lives of obedience into maturity. The invitation is not to see the struggles that we find ourselves in merely, they certainly have this included, but not merely a struggle with only natural forces. We know there is resistance to God and God's kingdom on every level of our life. Ephesians 6 reminds us, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Again, see last week's talk on the presence of evil in our world. But here's the idea. If you don't take this, this spiritual nature of a stronghold into account, then the way you fight back can often lead to worse problems. So, and this happened with Jesus. This, this is not far from, from the reality of the text. His disciples, his friends, those who were following him, many who were drawn to the intrigue of who this man was, thought here's someone who has the power to push out Rome. Here's someone who has the power to defeat our enemies. And of course what they mean is the power to, to violently overthrow the empire that was occupying them and keeping all the promises God had made to Abraham on delay for their people. They wanted him to, to become Messiah. And just like a hundred years before in the Hezbonian dynasty and the revolt with Judas Maccabeus, the hammer who violently overthrew the, 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 the tyrants who were occupying Israel, that's what they wanted. But if you win a victory by violence, you have to sustain it by violence. And that makes sense to us on some level, even though we keep making the same mistakes. And if, and if, if you have a stronghold of stress in your life, or you find yourselves as regularly being restless, irritable, discontent, and you cope with that, you deal with that restless, irritable, discontent with alcohol, or with overeating, or with retail therapy, you might calm that restless, irritable discontent, that stronghold of stress for a while, but you also give yourself another problem that can become a worse stronghold. If you change a behavior by fear, then you come to be dominated by fear. I think about this as a parent a lot. If I change my kid's behavior because I'm intimidating them, now I'm letting fear become a dominant force in their life. I don't do that perfectly. That's why I'm coming to parent well, folks. Thank you, Patrick. Right, if you only see yourself on the surface of behaviors, you will miss the river of motivations that flow in your soul. And if you don't acknowledge those, then you're gonna be surprised at how things can keep a hold on you. We need physical and spiritual solutions for the problems that grip us because we are holistic people. We are physical and spiritual beings. So just a quick example on this. This came up in, in our second course on living by the Spirit. And, and this guy, Richard Lovelace, he wrote a, a phenomenal book called Renewal as a Way of Life. And I just love how he sort of summarizes this idea of what you use to get freedom from something that has a hold on you will really matter in what comes next. He says, we cannot conquer sin by effort and willpower alone, 
but only by an act of faith, depending on the free gift of deliverance through messianic atonement, through Jesus. Behavior changed by willpower alone without faith or operation of the Holy Spirit simply transmutes into another form. Moral pride and self-righteousness and the most serious forms of sin cannot be touched by willpower. They are below the surface of our actions. This is where strongholds live. This is where they get a hold of us. You can't always see just the most deliberate outward actions and behaviors that are there to know if you have a stronghold because it is something that is woven through the sort of the fabric of your being. Paul says in this short passage that we are looking to divine power. What, what, what Loveless said there, like we're looking to our union with Christ to be the force that breaks the power of these strongholds. And, and he gives us three examples, to demolish strongholds, to demolish arguments and every pretension or every high thing that exalts itself against another. So I'm just gonna quickly run through what, what these mean, literally in seconds. Demolish strongholds, this is what we're talking about, patterns of thought or behavior that have a spiritual component. They do not submit merely to the pressure of willpower alone. You can't seem to change them even though you really want to. Demolish arguments, right? This is the, the, the mostly mental side of the reality of our culture that we, we get proposed a vision of the good life and if we're not like kind of constantly uh, assessing it, we can sort of take, we can ingest a, a picture of the good life that has nothing to do with actually what Jesus is talking about when he says, uh, I come to give you life and give it to you to the full. We settle for a lesser version of the good life, but it sounds phenomenal. It's ideas that are proposed to capture our thinking that lead us away from God. So demolishing strongholds, demolishing argument, and every pretension, something that is pretending to be something that it isn't. So uh, the old translation, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So this is something that presents itself as an alternative to God in your life. And, and this, I think, is the way this can happen. Maybe you would put other language to these steps, but I think this is a pretty reliable pattern for how this happens. At some point in our journey, a lie is introduced to us, and it may be marketed to us or it may be parented to us or it may be something we pick up as a coping mechanism for dealing with the world but at some point we pick up a, a, a lie something that contradicts or calls into question God's love God's character God's word something often that feeds on fear something that can ramp up our insecurity or our shame something we believe uh, will give us comfort that we we deserve but it's actually just selfish right you can think about this right some it's maybe it was on the playground as a kid and right some rejection you felt socially got internalized and you sort of lived on that lie or, or, or right the first time you were 14 and you were, you were in the backyard and you drank a wine cooler and you never felt that way before and suddenly you felt like I can't really live without this, this, this feeling or what, whatever the thing is at some point a lie gets introduced however subtle that, that, that we can live according to this, this, this way and the results will be good then space is taken up in your mind with this, with this lie. You, you give this lie some space in, in your living. You may even take action on it. And here's the thing. Your first results on the actions taking on this lie may not show the full picture. This is something that you see with, with idols, with strongholds, with addictions. We've talked about this dynamic before, but in the beginning, something that becomes a stronghold will often present itself. These are substitutes for God, and they'll say, I can give you what you want, and it will cost you very little, right? 
Just do this thing and you'll have what you need, right? You'll, you'll get the relaxation. You'll get the comfort. You'll get the social courage. You'll, you'll deal with this problem. You'll solve the momentary issue. And it's going to cost you very little and maybe no one's going to know. But then as the pr- thing progresses, it begins to swing on a pendulum where by the end, in the worst throes of a stronghold or a habit or an addiction, you get to the place where the thing is giving you nothing and costing you everything. So your first interactions with the action of the space, uh, of the lie taking space in your mind may not yield the full result, but the foothold eventually becomes a stronghold. And it doesn't just affect that one area of your life, it comes to affect Many different areas of your life, many different relationships, and then you finally come to the place where you cannot seem to change. You have become what you think. You have become what you repeatedly do, and the stronghold affects both. I'm literally not going to go into detail on these things, but I want to reference something that we've talked about before. The first is a little chart about how the sort of the nature of our existence as human beings, right? We take in information in our body from our infancy onward. We process it with our five senses. We process it in our mind, in our will, in our emotions, right? Good things and bad things come into that. You recognize your parent's face for the first time with this process. You, you deal with social anxiety on the playground with this process. Your study habits, whatever, your eating habits, things get developed. Your preferences, personality, and habits get developed. Now, I've done a really, a lot of study on sort of brain science, cutting-edge brain science, and I've drawn this model. (laughs) This is your brain, and this is exactly kind of how it looks if you do an x-ray. Of course not, right? The the model is just there for for an example. But at at some point in that process going on, like a little foothold gets introduced into your thinking, right? Can it, be, it can be small at first, but as it works that sort of pendulum swinging process, it comes to occupy more space. And this is what the scripture is talking about when it says that you have a stronghold in your mind is that the, the, so many areas of your life are dominated by this anger. So many areas of your life are dominated by this insecurity and fear. So many areas of your life are dominated by this addiction. So many areas of your life are dominated by this depression. And then it fans out it doesn't just affect that, but it affects so many things. It feels like this is the all-consuming reality of your life. You're literally being consumed by this stronghold. I mean, just if you're super impressed with the charts, just try to stay with me on, on what I'm saying here. So the, the I, idea is that when uh, 2 Corinthians f- uh, five says, when anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. And what that means is, let's go to the next chart. Yes, into this body-soul dynamic that we had before, the Holy Spirit comes. Because of what Jesus has done in his life, death, and resurrection, we're invited into the family of God, filled with the Spirit. Now there's another way of dealing with, with perpetual patterns of thought and behavior in your life that are not just your natural resources. You have the resources of the Spirit of God in you for combating what Paul says, we have demo- d- d- divine power for demolishing strongholds, casting down arguments in every pretension that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So that big red square in your brain, pictured by this, this stronghold, now I have the power of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that my willpower is totally shut off. It doesn't mean that God discounts my mind. It doesn't mean that you can't hear uh, helpful, informative teaching, but it does mean that you're not totally relying on natural resources alone to defeat these strongholds, to defeat these patterns. You're relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Spirit. And the reason you have to be rid of these things and get freedom is because they exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. Your mind can be overwhelmed with a series of thought and behavior that says over you, you're not loved. You're trapped. You'll always be this way. You'll always be an outsider. You'll never really change. This is who you are. These things, it says, they set themselves up against the knowledge of God. What that looks like is they act as false gods. They demand your allegiance, your attention, your affection. And they do not give you the fruit of the Spirit in return. They act as substitute gods. They, they blare lies about God and they blare lies about you. A stronghold is a, is a place from which many attacks on your life are launched that undermine the reality, character, and word of God. Anxiety does this. Depression does this. And please, please, please hear me. Well, I'm talking about physical and spiritual solutions. You might need to do exactly what these instructions say and still take medicine for anxiety or for depression or for, for many diagnoses that we, there's a multi-pronged approach to dealing with. It may be that you need to sleep more and eat differently and exercise and get out and not isolate and have friendships and get in a support group and realize you have divine power to demolish strongholds, cast down arguments and every high thing that is exalts itself against the knowledge of God. I'm not simply saying it's only one thing, of course. But anxiety exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Depression exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Addiction exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Envy does this. Pornography does this. Greed does this. Anger does this. Shame does this. And on and on. They exalt themselves over the truth of God in your mind. So how do you change the text says you have divine power through your union with Christ. So the two steps of change, and they're really monumental, is you rely on the divine power, and then you fight the daily fight. And what I mean is, first of all, we have to, to rely on the divine power. First of all, we have to come to God and ask for these strongholds to be broken in Jesus' name. We come to God and we ask for these strongholds to be broken in Jesus' name. And as we're asking, we can be confident because we're not coming on the record of our own achievements or our promises to do better. We're coming entirely on the record of Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection, his crying out on the cross, it is finished, is the gateway to your freedom. When I went through this for the first time with a mentor, I took a legal pad and I wrote down everything in my life that I thought might be a stronghold and it took a legal pad. And then we went through that night and we prayed through every one of those things and he, he prayed over me, he laid his hands on my head, it, this may feel weird to you, but he anointed my head with oil. We prayed over every one of those strongholds and then in front of me he burned the list. Basically saying, with confidence, we believe if we have turned these things over to Christ and they are his now, your job is not to win the victory, your job is to stand in the victory. Your job is to stand in the place where Christ has already given you freedom. And so that means fighting the daily thought. And then he taught me a method for taking my thoughts captive. He literally put a bunch of note cards in my pocket that had my identity in Christ on it. And every time I would have one of these thoughts about my addictions or my anxiety crop up, I'd pull the note cards out and I'd say, hang 
hang on a second, where did this thought come from? It, what is it? Where is it from? What's it pointing me to? What type of consequences would be true if I acted on it? And I would realize so often, I don't know where it's from, whether it's from my own internal mechanisms or whether it's from the enemy, but this thought is not true and not helpful. And I'm taking it captive and hanging on to it and examining it and then dismissing it in light of something I have received from Christ. We're not just going to let any old kind of thinking live inside our heads. We're going to take our thoughts captive. So the first is is breakthrough. God, I need you to bring breakthrough. Break the power this thing has on me. There's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. And so God gives us breakthrough, but then we stand in that breakthrough fighting the the, the daily fight. Making the thought obedient to Christ. What on earth does that mean? Once you've got this thought imprisoned for a second, you're not just letting it run by on the ticker tape. You're saying, pause, hang on. This thought. I'm always going to be this way. No one cares about me. No one sees me. I'm alone. Whatever the thought is, you hold it there. And you say, where did this come from? What is this? No, no, no. no. This is not from God. And I, I replace it with something that I have learned. Making it obedient to Christ means that you replace that thought with something you know is true from what you've learned from Christ. That you are loved. That you are made in God's image. That you can be and are free. That you are forgiven. That you have a share in the inheritance of the kingdom of the saints in light. You have a share in God's kingdom, same as anyone, that God looks at you and sees Jesus. You're united with Christ, that you can be a beacon of God's love and mercy, that you are gifted and filled with the Holy Spirit. So demolish, like rely on God's power to break the stronghold and then stand daily in the freedom, taking our thoughts captive. The mechanism is, is, is things that you're familiar with. Confess, surrender, stand. We're closing, confess. Often it's not until we are really honest and even vulnerable that the flood of relief comes into our life, that the door of freedom is opened. Confession and healing are so connected. Confession and freedom are so connected. Here's the thing. I'm not saying that God won't touch something in your life that you refuse to tell anyone about. His grace may work in that place. But the reality is, no one else is gonna see it. You rob the rest of us of an opportunity to see God's grace in your life. God's grace bring freedom because you've kept to yourself the struggle that you're dealing with. And you're gonna need other people in the process of freedom. Most often, though, we just keep living in whatever we won't share. Open up the shades. Open up the door. Let the light shine in. Confession is is the first step in healing. Then surrender. You ask God to take back anything that you've given over. This is that divine power for demolishing strongholds. Make a list with someone, someone you love and trust, of things that you think might be strongholds in your life, and then pray over them together. Have them anoint you with oil, and then burn the list, or chop it up, or whatever you want to do. Surrender. Ask God to break in to this anxiety, to this despair, to this uh, worry, for the, to this isolation, to this overspending, whatever your thing is. And then stand. Again, you don't have to win the victory. You just stand in the victory won by Christ. This is what Ephesians 6 says, the famous passage on your spiritual armor. I'm going to read it to you and then we're done. 
Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Rely on divine power to break the the, the grip of these strongholds and then fight the daily fight. How? Confess, surrender, and stand. Run to God. Run into the things of the Spirit. Worship the Word of God. Community gathered in Jesus' name. Praying the Scriptures. Places we know the Spirit is active. Break strongholds and stand in freedom. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we need you to do this morning the spiritual work that instruction alone is not going to accomplish. We have to engage together with you. We have to offer up these things that are in our hearts and minds, these things that may have a hold on us or have a hold on those that we love. We have to ask you to demolish them, to break them down, to to lift your name up over these things. So I pray in Jesus' name that, that this morning you would bring spiritual deliverance, spiritual freedom, breakthrough at every level that it's needed in this place. I pray that each person who cries out to you in these next moments would experience uh, your mercy, your forgiveness, your grace, your, your freedom. And I pray that you would teach us, God, you would help us to, to begin to make a record of the daily ways that we stand in your freedom. I pray these things totally relying on you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. We are practicing as a, as, a, as a community, being a people who respond to the word of God. And, and there's ways we do that every week. We come forward to the table and we receive a meal because it's a reminder that what's gonna change us is not what we promise to do. What's gonna change us is what Christ has already done. So we come to the meal, we receive grace and nourishment, the body and blood of Christ. But also we do business with God. We have rugs up here. We have people at the front that are here to pray with you. You can pray with people that you came with wherever you are in the room. But please don't leave this place knowing that you need freedom and breakthrough in something and not asking God to give it. Not being willing to open the floodgates and and confess and say, I need this help. Every one of us has them. And then we worship. We worship to say we're gonna get our minds and hearts off of ourselves and back onto the truth about God. So as we come forward, please come and receive the meal. If you need breakthrough and a stronghold in your life, would you stop and pray on the rugs or grab someone to pray with you up here at the front? We'll have a team up here that would love to pray with you, answer any questions, talk about whatever's on your mind, good or bad. And then we're gonna worship together. This is how we respond almost every week. So prepare our hearts for the meal. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We proclaim again, it is finished. The power of these strongholds has been broken on the cross. Whatever holds you is not as powerful as the redemption Jesus has brought. Your ability to sin is not stronger than the blood of Christ. We can be free. Heavenly Father, bless the meal. Bless your church as he comes. Pour out freedom on us right now. Minister your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, as you're ready, come forward. Receive the meal. Stay for prayer and let's worship.